Good morning. My name is David, as uh, Pastor Mario said, one of the pastors here as well, usually working with our students and families. This is a, uh, this is a picture of my wife, Jordan, with uh, one of our old members and old students, Bailey Williams. Now, if you look at Jordan's face, you're going to notice that she's got a very big smile on her face, that there's almost total joy radiating from her. Seems to be maybe one of the happiest days of her life. Well, why is she so happy in this picture? This is March 20th, 2010, and the night before, March 19th, Friday night, she met her future husband. (laughs) There's that smile again. Look, it's right there. It's so big. It's so big. Jordan was in her senior year of college at Texas Tech University when her friends decided for their final spring break, let's drive to Scottsdale and do our spring break in Scottsdale. So her and a bunch of girlfriends drove out uh, from West Texas to Scottsdale uh, to spend that week there. And at the same time, a group of guys, uh, a guy named Luke Williams, uh, that's her, that's his sister there, Bailey, and uh, used to be, used to attend this church, now lives in Tennessee, uh, he and his guy friends had a spring break as well because they went to the same university and they decided, let's go to California. So they drove from West Texas and they went to California. Well, they all decided that they would be in Arizona on that same weekend and that same night. So let's stop in Arizona and let's stop in Ahwatukee and let's stop uh, at the Williams house, at Luce house, and let's hang out there. Let's spend some time together. Let's play games. So there's going to be about 20 of them there hanging out and uh, enjoying their spring break. So both groups got together that night. And then there's me, my story. I'm out here in Ahwatukee, been out here for about two years. Uh, before I moved here, uh, I interviewed here, actually came out here two different times from California to Arizona. And, and when I came out here, the Williams family uh, asked if I could be housed at their house, asked if I could stay there when I was being interviewed and considering uh, the role of youth pastor. And then when I moved here, They actually said, you know, you're welcome to live with us uh, while you get your feet on the ground and look for some more permanent housing. And so after about three months, I I had thought actually I had found permanent housing. And Randy Williams told me not to attach the adjective permanent me to his house. So I found some other housing and, uh, and moved out, but I got to live there for the first three months And while I did, I lived right next door to this guy, Luke Williams, and we shared a bathroom together. He was actually a senior in high school while I was a youth pastor, and so we developed not only a pastor-student relationship, but also a a brotherly love type of relationship where we we lived together and we ate dinners together and we spent time at church together for for those first three months, his last semester of of high school. So he texted me. It was no surprise. He texted me and said, hey, we're going to be in town, me and my friends, and uh, you should come over and play games tonight. And so that was a Friday night, March 19th, uh, March 19th, when I, when I drove over to the house. And normally, I just walk into that house, to the Williams house. I have, I have a key, and uh, it's just fine for me to walk in typically, especially when I know there's people over there. But for whatever reason, I decided to knock on the door, ring the doorbell that night, and probably because there was a bunch of people inside that I didn't know. So I rung the doorbell, and who should open the door but this blonde, bright-eyed, smiling girl? And she opened the door... And uh, I saw her, and I thought a few wonderful things about her and uh, how attractive she was. And then she opened her mouth, and she, first thing she said to me 
was not hello, welcome, I'm Jordan. It was this question. It was, who was Moses' wife? (laughs) And I thought to myself, she's a Christian, she's beautiful, she's perky, and she loves Bible trivia. I mean, it's, (laughs) is there anything else I could ask for? And uh, so between that night, that night, March 19th, and August 1st, 2015, we got married over five years. There was a lot of moments in between. There was a lot of relationships, conversations, decisions, uh, just circumstances in our own individual lives that really had to all line up just right for us to have met randomly that night. And of course, while I was there, I made the most of it. And uh, that whole night, I made sure that I didn't talk to her the entire time, and I only looked at her when she was not looking at me. So a lot, a lot had to happen. A lot had to happen to get us from there to actually getting married. And uh, but it was, it was, all these things came together for us to get married. But even if you think backwards, and you could think about your own, if you're married, your own marriage, uh, or if you have a, a best friend, or even your own current job, or if you're not from Arizona, how you got to Arizona, you know that there's all these moments, all these circumstances, all these arrangements that had to have lined up. You had to meet that person at that time, and that person led you to this, and that conversation led to this, and that job led you to here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, if I hadn't had my house here. That all these things lead up to these moments. And in Jordan and I's life, there was just so many, even individually. Had she not gone to the school she had gone to, had uh, I not gone to the school I had gone to, or had I not certainly worked here, served here, had I, had I not lived with the Williams, Um, Had Randy and Carrie not gone to the school they went to so that their son also went to? Had Luke not started dating his now wife, Kesley, who grew up as a childhood friend of Jordan? They wouldn't have been on that trip. I mean, there's just so many of these what-ifs that line up. And they have to line up for these moments to happen. And we were... We'd been married for a couple of years, and I was uh, on sabbatical at the time. This is a couple of years ago, and we were talking with some counselor friends. And, uh, and I remember Kimball, he said to me, that one of the counselors, he says, although it may not seem this way, this, talking about Jordan and I, this is an arranged marriage. God has brought the two of you together and orchestrated your individual story so that they would become one story. You see, the invisible God orchestrating the events of our lives, resulting in his intended end. It's what we call providence. It's what we call providence. And in Acts 8, you can turn there, page 916, Acts 8, it's really throughout the life of the the book of Acts so far. And as we continue to go, you're going to notice that God is providentially arranging people. He's arranging the neighborhoods they live in. He's arranging the the places they walk during the middle of the day. Uh, He's arranging all these details about people's lives. And he's doing that too, with your life. God is working in your life in ways visible but also invisible to you. He's working in the foreground and he's working in the background. And he's doing so because he's unfolding his goodwill for your life, his plan for your life. So we're going to be in Acts 8, verses 26 to 40, reading about a story often referred to as Philip and the Ethiopian. But let's read this and you might even read for and listen for moments and Spots of God's providence in these two people's lives. Verse 26 starts like this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, 
Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. You know, the difference between coincidence and providence is pretty simple. It comes down to meaning. You know, if I'm wearing green plaid today, and you're wearing green plaid, we would call that coincidence. Why? Because there's no real ultimate meaning in the fact that we're wearing green plaid right now at least certainly to my knowledge, right? I mean, it's just like we just happen to have the same shirt or the same pair of socks or the same shoes on. But providence, providence requires intentionality. Pastor Cody refers to providence. He likes to refer to it as a God sighting, okay? So what we're going to call it providence means intentionality. It's God intentionally weaving together the seemingly unconnected strands of your life into a meaningful story with a purposeful ending, Providence has meaning behind it. It means that God is actually the one orchestrating this. Coincidence is just random, it's just chance. But providence, there's intentionality, there's meaning, there's purpose, and there's an ending behind it. And my dad, my parents are on vacation right now. He's, he's a pastor, but he's not preaching uh, today. They're on vacation. A year ago, my dad started planning this trip for my mom for her retirement. She re- retired back in June. And so he, he started planning this trip. My dad's a big planner, a big trip planner. And he started planning for my mom for her retirement and wanted to do something really special for her. And he wouldn't, wouldn't tell her any details, just the dates, okay, just the dates. And he wouldn't tell anybody else any details, just the dates. But even though he wouldn't tell us any details, it wouldn't keep him from just talking about it all the time. We're going on this trip. Can't tell any details, but I'm, oh, oh three weeks from now, and we'll be on this, we'll be on the fourth day of our vacation, your mom's retirement trip that I'm planning that I won't tell you any details about, We're, right? So he does this all the time. He talks about it for about a year. So they're finally on this trip. And uh, so he booked ahead of time, did some arrangements. He booked tickets from Seattle to Kansas City. Ahead of time, he arranged that there would be a rental car waiting for them. He arranged it so that the flights that they chose that would be landing and they would be hungry for dinner. Uh, He arranged it so that they could then drive to a place called Lambert's Cafe before continuing to drive. And he arranged it so that they could stay five nights in in the only place, really I think the only place in America, that two 67-year-olds who like music are politically conservative, and our Christians want to go. You already know I'm talking about Branson, Missouri, right? Well, it's like, yeah, that's, that's actually, I think, the only place you want to go. So there they are. They're right now in Branson, Missouri. He arranged all that, but he even arranged it so that their first night there, they would get a knock on the door after dinner. And what happened about 25 years ago was they got a knock on their door on a Sunday night after church service, 
And lo and behold, they opened the door, and there were their best friends, our best friends from church, dressed in their pajamas with a box of Pop-Tarts wanting to come over. At the coaxing of their young daughter, somehow that, that ended up happening. And so a knock on their door happened, they opened the door, and there were those same best friends in their pajamas with a box of Pop-Tarts, and they were going to spend that week together. So who knows what other small details that my dad has arranged ahead of time to show my mom love. And some of you I know are in the room like this. I was making a comment to somebody who just had their daughter's wedding, and there was this rumor about this binder. And this binder basically contained all knowledge, understanding, and schedules for this wedding. It was like you had your day planned down to the five minutes. They knew, like, you know, if you're this way, you're planned. You know the flight times of everybody. You know who's getting in. You know who's going to the airport to get them, how many seats are in the car, what time they'll get here, if they'll need dinner by the time they get there. You know what's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner the whole week. You've got a spreadsheet for costs. You've got a spreadsheet for the schedule. You know things to do nearby. You've got everybody's phone number. You've got their allergies listed. You've got their insurance plans. You know the nearest in-network options for them. I mean, you know everything. You've got it all planned, ready. You've got plan A, but then you've also got all these contingency plans. So that plan A doesn't go well, you've got plan B, C, and D, and they're essentially really just plan A, just with multiple options, because you have got it down. You're ready for anything. You've tried to think about everything you could think about, anything possible, if there's a weather, if there's a natural disaster, whatever it is, we're ready, and we've got a plan. If we, my dad, myself, you, if we can plan, even though only so far in advance, and we have limited knowledge, and we can only really control a few factors in our life, if we can draw up a plan, put it into motion, and oftentimes see it to our desired outcome, if we can do that, how much more can God do this in your life and in the lives of others? He knows everything about everything. I mean, he knows the, the weather patterns for every latitude and longitude spot on earth in 40 years from now. I mean, he knows everything about everything. There's nothing that surprises him. He has had unlimited time to prepare for your life. The words complex, hard, difficult, I don't know, confusing, plan B, these are words that are not found in God's vocabulary. And God can weave together the millions of details, the complex systems in this world of each person's life. And he's done this. He's, he's woven together all the details of your life from the individual nucleotides that make up the building blocks of your DNA to the first time that your great-great-grandparents laid eyes on each other. God has woven all these things together for your life. And he's done this so that his will, his precise and exact will, would be accomplished in your life. He's arranged everything for you so that his will would be done in your life. And we see this in Acts 8, that millions of moments have predated this one moment and Philip and the Ethiopian's life. We, we don't know their life. We don't know everything that happened, how they got to everywhere, how the unit came to be, where he came to be, how Philip, we don't know. But two years prior to this, what his life was like, we don't know all these details, but we know that God has been orchestrating the lives of these people, even the lives of their ancestors, to get them to this exact spot at this exact time with this exact desire. It is an arranged marriage, if you will, here that we're reading about in Scripture. And it's an arranged marriage for this arranged moment, for the most important moment in any person's life, the moment that they hear the good news about Jesus, they believe it and are saved. No more important moment in a person's life than when they hear the word of God, believe it, and are saved. And he's doing the very same thing in your life too. He's arranging all the moments of your life, the relationships, the good, the bad. He's arranging it all 
so that you would live and walk in his will so that you would know Jesus Christ just as the Ethiopian knew him. And, and each of us are really in one of these two positions. You're either in the, the shoes of the Ethiopian or you're in the shoes of Philip. Now, as you're reading, what are, what are some of the moments, the providential moments, even in Acts 8 that we read about? First of all, there was a road system from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. I mean, think about it. If this road didn't exist, then this man wouldn't have been traveling to Jerusalem and he wouldn't have been traveling back. I mean, the story was over if there was no road for him to travel on. There were no f- flights to Jerusalem at the time. So if this road was the only means of transportation, of getting from one place to another, if this road did exist, but God had providentially arranged for this road to be built. It's providential that the Ethiopian man had obtained a copy of God's word. You just think about it. They were not handing out scrolls of Isaiah like Halloween candy back then, right? It wasn't just like anybody just come to Jerusalem and leave with your free souvenir scroll of Isaiah. It just didn't happen. The fact that he had one is pretty remarkable. It's providential, and maybe providential that he had so much money that he was essentially the CFO of Ethiopia, that he had the money to purchase such a valuable document. It was providential that this Ethiopian knew Hebrew. Just think about it, how difficult it is to not know Hebrew, but to have to read Hebrew. And here he is, yet reading Hebrew aloud, but he's not, he, he's not, a, he, he's not a Jew. Not from Jerusalem that we know of, and yet he can read Hebrew. Providential that maybe some point in his life, either a tutor or somebody, somehow he was introduced to this language and he learned it. And now he's able to read the gospel in that language. Otherwise, he couldn't have read the gospel and had these questions. It's providential that he already had an interest in God and was already coming back from worshiping him. We don't know who introduced him to, to God, who introduced him to Judaism, uh, or how he knew about it. But nonetheless, God had arranged this man's life so that he already had an interest in these things. But I want us to think even more now as we think here about the good news Luke, Luke chooses to use the word, the good news about Jesus, when it describes the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And, and, and then he chooses to actually tell us what he was reading. And, and this is purposeful. It's not, just, it's not just small details for small details sake. There's a, a purpose to this, that it's both good news about Jesus and the specific passages that Luke records for us that this Ethiopian man was, was reading. Because we also have to see the Ethiopian as a eunuch, as providential. That his life stage, that his situation was actually arranged that way by God. That he was single, he was a eunuch, and so he had no kids. He was also Ethiopian, he was a foreigner. And as such, as a eunuch, he was not allowed full entrance into the temple. When he went to Jerusalem to worship God, uh, he, he couldn't go actually into the temple. He had to stay on the outside because Deuteronomy 23.1 forbids eunuchs from entering in. It forbids eunuchs from full acceptance into the Jewish community. He was an outsider, both as a eunuch and also as a foreigner. It would be like somebody coming here this morning and we say, don't come inside. You can't come inside. You're, you're not allowed in. You can hang outside during the muffin time and people will go out to you, but you're not allowed into here. You can't come into this room. Okay, that was the Ethiopian's experience when he went there to worship God. He, he could only get so close. He was on the outside looking in when it came to, came to Judaism. And he was really on the outside looking in when it came to society. But we're going to see that the good news to him, the gospel's goodness, is not just to the Jew, but also to the non-Jew. It's to the single. The gospel is good news to those who do not have kids and can't have kids. It's the good news to those who are on the outside looking in, who were who not born into this, but who are uh, watching it from afar. 
Where were you? I'm curious, you know, just think about your own life. Where were you when you heard the gospel and you believed it that, that for, for the first time? Where were you? Who, who told you about it? What were the circumstances that surrounded even your salvation? And you may not have been on a desert rose going down from Gaza, okay, but you were somewhere and God had arranged that maybe a Sunday school teacher, a parent, a coworker, a friend, I mean, it goes on and on. The stories in this room are incredible about how each person who knows Christ heard about Christ. And you just have to remember that God had arranged all that. That wasn't coincidence, that was providence, that God had arranged it so that even you would hear the good news about Jesus. The timing, at just the right moment, all these things came together, culminated so that you would hear it and believe it. And this is what God is doing here in the life of the eunuch, and we'll get here to the good news specifically for this man and for us here in a moment. I've, I've shared this story before, but uh, before I lived here, I said I, was, I lived in California, and I was at a birthday party for some uh, kids in my student ministry and children's ministry. So they had the birthday party at Long Beach, like on the beach in Long Beach. And uh, so we were out there playing. Now, a little bit of information about me. I was a, I was, and I still was. I was certified as a lifeguard and a water, sa- water safety instructor, so I taught some lessons. So uh, a good, I could swim. You know, I could swim, and I, and I knew how to do rescue and stuff like that. So I was a lifeguard. I always thought of myself as a good swimmer. So here we are in the ocean. It's about halfway through the day that we're in the beach, and, and the weather turns, and there gets this rip current. Now, basically, a rip current is when, uh, you know, imagine all this is water, except there's this pocket of water that goes right up this aisle. And it, can, it gets you out past the breakers, out past the waves, and it just keeps pulling you. And uh, the, the way you're supposed to get out of a rip current, just in case you ever get in one, is you don't try to swim against it, you just swim to the side, right? You just swim to the side, try to get out of the rip current, and then you can kind of let the current bring you back in. So this rip current happened, and I could see it because these, these girls, one a child, one a teenager, were just, I mean, they're like, you know, 80 pounds, they're just getting carried out there. So I grabbed one, and I like threw her to the shore as best I could, right? Try to get her at least waist deep or above. And I went to go get the other one, and I grabbed the other one in my arms, and I turned around to look, and the other one was floating back to me. So I didn't quite make it. So I had these two girls in my children's and student ministry, and we're in this rip current, okay? Now, I'm not panicking, okay, because I'm a professional, right? <laughs> and uh, I don't know exactly what to do right here. It's not scary for me, right? So, uh, so we start to swim. And, uh, and somebody had gone to get one of the beach lifeguards. Always a bad thing when a beach lifeguard comes out to get you. So we're swimming out, and uh, in Long Beach, there was kind of this inlet that went well past the shore that if we could get to, you know, we could kind of make it past, and the rip current would be, would, we would be fine. We could start to walk into shore. So we began to swim. Began to swim and kind of float to the left uh, to get away from the rip current. Well, then the lifeguard comes out. The lifeguard comes out. I mean... Just the gall of this guy, right? I mean, what do you, does it not look like I'm not in control here, okay? So he comes out, and he puts out, you know, his lifeguard buoy. He says, grab that, and then follow me, and, and, and I'll help you walk in, walk in out of the beach. So, of course, girls, get, grab the buoy, grab the buoy. So they grab the buoy, they're walking in, and then I walk in behind them, hands-free, don't need the lifeguard buoy, because I don't need any saving, right? I don't need the lifeguard's help. And I, and I share this story because it was just a, what a great moment, what a great illustration of pride that keeps us from salvation. I don't need you, God. I've got this under control. Trust me, I'm a professional. And that was my attitude that day. And if that's our attitude, then the gospel is not good news to you. If that's your attitude, the gospel is not good news to you. It's foolishness. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, that the gospel is, is the power of God to those who, who believe, to those who are being saved, but it's foolishness to those who are perishing. 
The gospel is good news, but only to those who can admit they need saving. And it was good news to the eunuch that day. God had used this man's condition as a eunuch to prepare him to receive salvation. Because again, once again, he was denied. He just was on the outside, was not allowed in. He'd been a worshiper. He even made the trek to go all the way to Jerusalem. It's not an easy trip from Ethiopia to Jerusalem by chariot. And yet he was so dedicated to worship God uh, at the center of Yahweh's uh, place that he went to the temple to worship. But he still wasn't allowed in to get all that to get that far and know that you're still going to be on the outside looking in. And so he just, you remember that. You know that. You feel that when you're not fully accepted. And also as a eunuch, he would have been one of the most stigmatized people of society. Sure, he had a lot of money. He was essentially the CFO of Ethiopia, but he was still a eunuch, right? I mean, still, you're still a eunuch. And so he would have been stigmatized. He, he would have worn that marker and that label over his head. And it, particularly in a patriarchal culture, you know, his inability to provide offspring, certainly even male offspring, uh, that was not a mark of pride that he wore. That was a, a mark of shame to not, be able to, to not be able to have descendants, have generations that would carry on your name. But the gospel is good news to all who believe, including the eunuch, because now he's born again, and he's born again into a new family. He may not have children who come after him, but now he has brothers and sisters. And these And in this family, he does not wear the label of eunuch or foreigner anymore. Single, barren, incomplete. He doesn't wear that label anymore in this new family. And he was reading Isaiah 53, 7 to 8. But you know what that means? It means that just before that, he had read verses 3 through 4. And this is what Isaiah 53, 3 through 4. In fact, Philip was probably walking upon him as he read these verses. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. There's a reason that the eunuch asks, is this guy talking about himself or somebody else? Because I think he's talking about me. He he knew what what it meant to be rejected, to be despised to be afflicted. He, he was very familiar with suffering as a eunuch and as a foreigner. He was familiar with pain. He knew public scorn, and he knew what it was like for the general public to hold you in low esteem. This man knew all these things very well, and the gospel is good news to him because all of these things that used to be true of him, as Philip explains to him, beginning with this scripture, were true of Christ so that they were no longer true of him. The gospel was good news to him. He knew exclusion because of his race. He knew shame because he had no kids, but in the gospel, none of these things mattered. In God's economy, he could have brothers and sisters. He could have a new name. He could have a new family. He could have a new future. And the things that the world holds against a person, the things that the world looks at, God does not look at. The gospel instead promises him full entrance into God's house no longer standing on the outside desiring to come in. The gospel promises him a memorial, a long-standing memorial, a name better than sons and daughters, a name that's better than having your last name carry on for generation after generation. The gospel promises him that people who are held at arm's length like him, a eunuch and a foreigner, full entrance into God's new community, into God's new kingdom. 
He no longer is on the outside looking in. He no longer carries the labels he's carried his whole life. The gospel is good news to him because of Jesus. This is a, this is a picture of myself and my wife, but also a girl, one of our members, Carly Tumbleson. And in this picture, one of us is very happy, and in this picture, one of us is not so happy. I've rarely been wrong in my life. <laughs> and I've never lost a bet, except, except this time. Carly and I, Carly had the boldness to think that she would be right and I would be wrong. We had a bet. She knew that I was a, a proponent, an op, excuse me, an opponent of the 202 freeway coming into Ahwatukee. She knew that I was not exactly happy that they were going to build a, a freeway behind my, behind my house and uh, especially displace all of my wonderful friends, you know, so many friends who were, had to move. But uh, she knew I was not happy about this, and, I, and she knew that I was supporting, like, the opposition, you know, and I was convinced. It's going to court. We're going to win it in court. This thing ain't going through, you know. Trust me, we've got the, we've got the land rights. We've got the environmental studies. I mean, it's just, it's not happening, you know. And she, I, she probably looked at me like I look at students when they say things, and I'm like, you don't, you don't have any idea. Like, it's going to happen. You can't stop it, you know. It's like, despite whatever you want, it's just going to happen. Like, your, your, your strong opinion doesn't really matter, you know. And so she said, oh, she's so convinced, let's bet. I said, all right, let's bet. Bet, let's bet Chipotle. I said, all right, I'll bet whoever, winner, loser has to buy the winner Chipotle. And they get, a, they get to get guac, all right. So that was the thing. Chipotle, and sure enough, man of my word, there's the guac, all right. So, so we made this bet, and this was like three and a half, four years ago. Well, then about, that was about 18 months ago was this picture. We finally got to the place where I had to admit defeat. Had to admit defeat, and she, she wanted to memorialize it. I asked her if I could show this picture, and she said, I'm finally glad you've come to the place where you're willing to admit this publicly. <laughs> but it was, we made this bet over this road. I was convinced this road was bad news for us. Two years after the resurrection, this story is probably taking place about two years after the resurrection. And what we're noticing, and this is one of the placements of it in Acts 8, is to show that the gospel is now getting out of its traditional boundaries. It's actually now able to reach a lot farther than we ever thought. It was reaching farther than even Jesus himself took it. Jesus himself took it just where he could walk. But now the spirit of God is taking it farther than Jesus himself took it. The gospel is being liberated. The good news is reaching now across geographic boundaries, across into a new continent, into Africa, well beyond its native Jerusalem. The spirit is taking it these places. And I used to loathe the thought of this new freeway coming in. I thought we had a great little cul-de-sac here in Ahwatukee, why we need to mess it up. The valley works just fine the way it is. But then I, last week I was thinking about this. Kyle and Sarah McLeese shared their story up here. And they shared about how uh, they lived, though they lived in Chandler, that through an invitation from one of our members that they came to Easter Sunday. And it was through that relationship and through that coming to church, uh, church service, that Kyle, eventually, Kyle through, a, through a friendship, heard the gospel over time and explained it to him, and he came to believe in the gospel. That wouldn't have happened if the, if the 202 on that end wasn't here. I mean, it's a 16-mile drive, and, and, and without the 202 over there happening, they're not, they're not coming here. In fact, without the 347 or some other free, you're not, some of you aren't here because you're not making the drive from Maricopa. And yet you see God has providentially even arranged the things that we overlook like a road. God is even using these roads to bring people to him, to arrange arrange these providential moments where the good news is going to come in and the good news is going out. And it's a 16-mile drive from here to the McLeish's house. In Ahwatukee, there's 81,000 people. And if you drive 16 miles the other way into, into Levine, 
in that other, that other community on the other side of the mountain, you, you, you enter into another 81,000 people. You know, the gospel is going to able to reach, we're seeing people in Chandler. We know that now the gospel, through God's providence, despite, despite my prayers, the gospel now has an opportunity to reach a part of, a part of Phoenix that honestly we would never have rarely had an opportunity. To, 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 it would never have gotten there, at least from this church. You know, certainly there's Bible-based churches there and God can use a lot of things, but now we have a road. We have the opportunity. We have people who will drive by this place. We have people who can come out from here. What new opportunities is God providentially bringing together for those who are curious about the gospel and for those who can share the gospel? God is doing this, providentially arranging. He's arranged roads, but he's also arranged relationships in your life. He's arranged a job, maybe your new job. You, you see it as a good thing because it's a new job, but maybe it's God's been providentially arranged that for a specific reason, to bring about his will. Long lines at the cashier. Not always something we see as good news, but God providentially arranging the moments of our lives, the people we have come across, so that we see these arranged conversations. And like I said, we're either two, one, one type of person, we're either like Philip or like this Ethiopian. If you're like this Ethiopian, I want you to know that God has arranged your day for you to be here. He's arranged it. You may not think so, but it's not coincidence that you're here. It's not coincidence. It's providence that, that you're here. He's arranged your day for you to be here. And he's probably also then, that means put somebody in your life that cares about you and that you have favor with so that you would even receive an invitation to come into a church building, probably a place that you may not inhabit most Sundays. God is providentially working in your life through relationships, choices, decisions, circumstances, so that you would hear the good news about Jesus, so that you would hear the gospel. And if you're online, because we were able to Facebook Live this, and we're able to have sermons that are posted online, if you're listening online, you need to know that God, he created a road for the Ethiopian to have access to Jerusalem, where he was able to get his hands on a copy of the scripture, but God has created a digital road for you, that you would have access this morning to hear God's word, to hear it explained, to hear that God has a will for you, his plan for you, and that, that plan results in you coming to know him as Savior. Why do you think he's done all these things? Not for coincidence, but it's his providence that you're listening right now. And if you're like probably many of us in this room, you're like Philip, meaning you believe the good news, and you can also explain the good news. You need to know that God has arranged our life as well. He's arranged your life. He's ex- arranged your workspace, the place your cubicle, he's, he's arranged the people who are in your carpool. He's arranged students, your third period class. Even if you think your senior chart is just done by your last name, that's God's prov- it's providentially arranged the people that you would come across into in your class, the people that would live near you, that you could walk to. He's arranged your gym, your gym routine and the people who would also have the same routine as you come at the same time, the s- same mornings, same days of the week. He's arranged That long line at Starbucks, he's arranged who would be your next door neighbor. God is providentially arranging all the small details of your life and my life. And he's also preparing the heart of somebody who's interested in him but simply lacks a teacher. You you notice this, that Philip didn't have to like start at ground zero with this guy. Jesus himself said the fields are white for harvest, meaning there's a lot of people that will come and believe in me. I just need workers. I need people. I need Philip's. There's already people that God is drawing to him. You don't have to do that work. That's the Spirit's work. But they do need somebody who can explain it. They do need a teacher. They need a person like Philip who will say yes to the Spirit's prompting. Listen well. Ask questions. 
and, and then ask, answer their questions that they have about Jesus. I want you to think about just yourself in this room today, about maybe if God hasn't already, maybe the Spirit has prompted you with a person in your life that you've been prompted by God before, and you got tired, or you got impatient, or you just got sidetracked and you got busy. You got other stuff you got to do. Philip had, we know Philip had four daughters. He was a deacon in the early church. He had things to do, and yet the Spirit prompted him one day, and he left, and he did what the Spirit told him to do. Maybe, maybe that's you. The Spirit is prompting you, and you need to obey the Spirit with what he's prompting you this morning. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I would just like you to just, uh, we'll have a little bit of time to do this, but just to, to think and to consider. Again, God is working in the, in the foreground in the ways that you can see, but he's working in the background in the ways that we can't see except later in hindsight, right? Sometimes, some of these things we can look back and say, I, I realize that was God's hand in my life. Maybe right now God is bringing to mind his work in your life, that he's been arranging some relationships, that he's been putting you into places, that he's given you favor with somebody. And for, but for no other reason that you would bring this person to Christ. We're going to pray and we're going to ask that God would give us the eyes to see his providence in our life. Whether as a person like Philip or whether you don't believe the good news yet. And we're going to pray and we're going to ask that we would trust that God is orchestrating all of our life. And, and, I, and I need you to hear this. That God is orchestrating... God. This man was a eunuch. Think about something worse. It's, it's going to take you a while. This man knew suffering. This man lived a life of shame. He had a lot of things to cover it. But he had a lot of hurt in his life. And yet you see God used even this thing that he thought, how could this be redeemed? How could God use, how could God use, I feel incomplete. I'm not whole. And yet God used this part of his life in his providence to bring about his will. If you're suffering, if there's something that hurts, that you're carrying, that you think, how can good come from this? You need to know that God can bring good. And he promises he will. And then lastly, as a church, let's pray that we would see our vision much bigger than just these three zip codes. That we would see that God has made access both digitally and both through roads, through modern transportation, that we could have a gospel impact that certainly is centered here in our traditional borders, but that is certainly not limited to these three zip codes, that we can have an impact well beyond Awatuki, and that the Spirit will have this impact. Let's pray. God, give us eyes to see the small bits of providence in our life. Give us eyes to see what you're doing and faith to know that you're at work even when we can't see it. God, for those of us who know the good news and it is good news, God, bring to mind, prompt us, even this week, give us this arranged encounter where you're bringing together two different people and it's only by your intentional hand that, that we meet. God, bring, bring together, even this week, providential encounters. And God, I pray for those who don't know don't believe yet, God, that you would help like all of us have been in places of pride, thinking that we're enough, that we have enough training, enough knowledge, enough understanding, that we've seen enough and we know enough and we don't need what you're offering. But God, we're no, no more able to save ourselves than I was. 
out in the middle of the ocean, even as a trained professional. God, would you break down our pride, give us a heart that's soft to you to see that admitting weakness and is, is, a, is a good thing, and that we are not sufficient in ourselves and that we simply certainly cannot save ourselves from you. God, give us trust that you're orchestrating all the parts of our lives, even the suffering, even the parts that hurt, even the most painful of life situations to bring about good, good in our life. Give us faith to believe those things. To know that even having no children of our own, to that being seen as an outsider, that you use all these things to bring about your will in our life. And God, give us a vision as a church to see beyond just these three zip codes. Give us a vision to see what you're doing, that you're providentially arranging roads, modes of transportation, people's daily commutes, their schedules, and ours, so that you would bring about arranged conversations. And that in the months and years to come, God, that we would have an impact that flows well beyond these traditional borders. That Jesus' name would be proclaimed well beyond our community. God, give us a vision that's much bigger than, than what we have for ourselves. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.